Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. We're heard in over 60 countries around the world. And we are proud to be the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. We appreciate all the calls and the emails and visits to the website. In fact, appreciate everybody who listens to the show. We know you've got lots of other things you can be doing, and I hope that you're benefiting from it. Also, uh, appreciate your uh, suggestions and comments, so please keep them coming in. It's very important to us. Now, entrepreneurs rely on funding to not only develop their product, but to engage and keep talented staff and also to get their product out onto the, into the market. And when you look at the roller coaster ride that the stock market's been on for the last few weeks, and today, today even though it went up a little bit, it's down about 3,000 points on its high, which means that um, sooner or later it's going to affect tech startups and their funding. So as stock markets have tumbled, shareholders have not been the only ones wondering what will become of their portfolio. Venture capitalists also started to worry about whether the plunge, which resulted in the worst, I think the worst um, week for American stocks for about five years, uh, would cool the heady market for shares of private companies, particularly in Southern California, in, in California and, and Silicon Valley. Well, there's plenty of reason to worry because the number of startups valued at one billion or more is now up to about 131, up from only about 12 in 2010. It does seem to me to be ridiculous that there's 131 companies, startups, valued at a billion dollars, it seems to me that that's hyperinflated, um, particularly when the amount of money venture capital has only doubled um, to $50 billion, where it was already $23 billion in 2010. So a lot of the big guys are getting a lot more money and a lot of the little guys aren't getting any. So um, it's an interesting time. So is it time for Silicon Valley's heat to cool down. Yet those that think there might be a collapse in startup funding will probably have a little wait before that happens. I mean, the effect of the stock market route slowly moves across all of the landscape and uh, the companies that will benefit are those that are run, run well and uh, with achievable business plans rather than those that were um, funded as a result of a feeding frenzy over the last 10 years. And uh, once negative sentiment takes hold, this um, downward spiral could pick up speed. And the reason that there'll be no sort of wholesale startup deflation is rooted in the pricing of private company stocks the only time that the prices fluctuate is actually when you go into the marketplace to raise more capital. So, um, you know, the, the regular 
stocks on on the stock exchange go up and down every day depending on market sentiment and company performance. But that's not the case with startups. So over the last few years, startup prices have increased every time there's a raise, the company's valued a little higher. And uh, because investors were largely optimistic, they thought that low interest rates and strengthening American economy and a booming China would keep the markets positive. But a lot of that has now changed. I mean, the American economy is still booming, which is the best part. But it's only when companies go out there and absolutely have to attract more capital um, that things get tricky. New investors want reassurances that um, the uh, companies can survive without venture capital. And, uh, and if a startup can't provide those reassurances, or if it's burnt through all of the money that got in its last raise without reaching the preset goals, they're in trouble. So, the immediate future, a downturn that spreads to Silicon Valley startups will immediately affect those companies that need to raise capital. But it could take several months. In fact, it could take more than that for a downturn in the market to affect the valuations of high-flying private tech companies. And startups that cannot value profit over growth, you know, the, old, the old days, this business of being in business for 20 years, I, I'm just trying to think of it like GoDaddy, 18 years in business, never made a dollar. Those days are over. You know, we've got to got to make profit. Profit's what drives industry and if they don't, they will get a lower valuation um, for their new raise than they did at previous raises and uh, that affects employees' stock options because they'll go by the boards if things aren't, aren't good and, uh, you know, and so things could get tough. Any venture capital, you know, any venture capitalist that you talk to, says that the majority of startup investments lose money and the few that pay off offset the losses. Well, the latest numbers that I got about three days ago from Silicon Valley said that 98.7% of all startups fail. 98.7% fail, so let's say 1% are succeeding. So, um, you know, there, there could well be a big rethink. So we may start... Um, identifying ailing companies now, especially those with the huge $1 billion-plus valuations, 131 of them, earlier rather than later. So um, the stock downturn need not necessarily mean bad news for startups, but it could. Now, bricks and mortar companies, um, retailers, they're scrambling to win back consumers who are increasingly turning to the web to make purchases. So they're betting on um, five new in-store technologies to win back shoppers um, to catch up with changing consumer behaviour. Physical retailers are adopting digital technologies from beacons to interactive fitting rooms and these these new technologies keep customers engaged 
and are interactive and get them coming back for more. Um, these tools are designed to catch the attention of increasingly tech-savvy consumers. And these new digital in-store technologies could represent the future of retail. And without them, there could be big trouble. So to keep up with online retailers, traditional bricks and mortars, you know, they're, they're having to make a shopping experience much more interesting and exciting and interactive and get people engaged. So they're adopting digital technologies in order to enhance the in-store experience, which is essential. But e-commerce sales in the US were still up 14% in the second quarter of this year. So that's still a pretty big rise compared to a, a growth of just 1% for retail. So 14% increase for online, 1% for bricks and mortar retailer, retail. So retailers are turning to better technology to try and draw more consumers into stores, give them a better experience when they're in stores and help to um, overcome this slow growth. Now, obviously, it's taken bricks and mortar retailers way, way, way too long to implement much needed change. You know, when you consider that bricks and mortar stores already have a real big advantage, I reckon, over online retailers, you know, people love to go to stores. Something like 60% of consumers would prefer to shop in stores because they can touch and feel and, you know, they meet people and it's just a great experience. You can experience, you can see all the new things without having to go and search for stuff you don't know you're going to look for. But um, it's taken them a hell of a long time to get round to start leveraging uh, what's available. So a number of number of stores have implemented these digital reforms, if you like, and uh, have largely reported pretty positive feedback. But it's a bit early to tell whether these technologies are actually going to boost sales and can reverse the trend to online retail. The um, retailers need to stay cognizant of their customer base to make sure that their technology is actually resonating with shoppers and getting them involved and building loyalty and building brand equity, all of those things. Um, so it's still a bit early to tell. But one thing is for sure, retail shopping will never, ever be the same again. So now you know we now we now take more than two billion photos. That's two thousand million photos every single day. Two thousand million photos every single day. And if you're like me, you worry about how you can keep your photos safe. And an even bigger problem is how do you file them so you can recall them again or find something that you want to find? You know, um, the number of times on your phone you, you go through the gallery and you go and go and go and go looking for a particular photograph and by the time you find it, everybody's bored to death with waiting for you. So um, it's, it's a problem. So, and also, if I lost my, uh, my iPhone, then... 
what happens then? All those photos are gone forever. Worse, if my hard drive crashes, the record of my life for the past five or ten years is gone. And same with almost everybody on the planet, I suspect. So there's no longer an issue with this now, thanks to Google Photos. Google Photos, it's free. Um, not only backs up your photos online and then organises them chronologically, but it also makes them searchable. So you can, um, you know, Google's algorithm analyses the photos and categorises them based on what's in them. So it makes it really easy to search for photos. Um, things like um, my dog or Grand Canyon or restaurants or concerts or even a location like Paris or Malibu Beach. So it will find it for you. And it also recognises selfies. So, and Google calls it Gmail for photos. I think it's fantastic. So Google Photos also gives you free unlimited storage for photos under 16 megapixels. And if you, if you want over 16 megapixels, um, Google Photos will store a compressed version of the photos. Um, now, Google says that this is sufficient for photos taken with popular smartphones like the iPhone 6 and the uh, Samsung Galaxy, and you'll still be able to make good quality prints of these photos up to 24 by 16 inches. So that's all great. And if you want to store uncompressed photos, it'll count against your online storage that Google gives you, which is the same storage you have in your Gmail account. Of course, the biggest downside with um, using Google Photos is you give all your photos over to Google and you give them unfettered access to nearly every photo you've ever taken. Now, they promise, at least they promise at the moment, that it won't use your photos in, ad in advertisements without your permission. But the company doesn't say that it won't use what's in your photo. So if you've got your cute little dog doing cute little things in the middle of a photo with a whole bunch of other stuff in it, you know, there's no reason why that cute little dog doing a cute trick won't pop up in some ad somewhere. So I guess it comes down to whether you um, trust these really big guys, and I'm not sure that I do. And, you know, because Google's really an advertising business, you know that they're going to go into all your photos and they're going to pull out the information so that they can better target ads to me. You can count on that. So, you know, that's a risk. However, the convenience and ease of use of Google Photos makes it a must-have, so I guess the rest of it's academic. Now, if you're a company director a manager or an executive or a salesman or involved in the marketing department, the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management is for you. You must become a member. Um, it, gives you, it gives you access to all sorts of information. There is um, blogs. There is uh, all sorts of um, seminars. And uh, it's got one goal, and that's to raise the standard 
of both individuals and companies in, that are involved in the sales, marketing and management area. So if you're not a member of the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, go to AISMM.US. That's AISS, do it again, AISMM.US and join today. You, um, you won't regret it. I've been a member for about 12 years and it's been fantastic. My guest today, Gordon Treadgold, coming up straight after the break, has worked in um, transformational leadership roles for over 20 plus years. He's run um, lots of $100 million plus programs. And what, he, what he's fantastic at is he enables you to cut through all of the crap and identify and focus on the things that are really important with a goal to revolutionise your results. And uh, Gordon is fantastic at this. So it's, a, it's an interview that you should listen to. I'm Bob Pritchard on Voice America Business Channel, and I'm going to be back with Gordon right after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show, where over the last four years we've given you the insights into the lives of over 250 of the world's most interesting business people what they do, how they do it, and what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business. 90% fail. So we all need all the help we can get. And that's why it's so important to have mentors. I often talk to you about surround yourself with mentors, people who have done it and been successful and know all the traps you can fall into. And take on advice that is provided by successful people, whether it's in interviews like this or whether it's through purchasing books. You must do it. Everybody in business, no matter what business you're in, faces exactly the same challenges. The people that are making new apps face the same challenges that somebody who opens a dry cleaning store. And everyone thinks that their product is going to have people beating a path to their door. 
it doesn't happen. You know, most entrepreneurs are experts at what they do, but the majority of businesses fail because they have no knowledge of all the other aspects that go into making a successful business. You know, it's um, it's interesting that you can, if you want to become a plumber, you need to go through a course. If you want to become a cab driver, you need to go through a course. If you want to become a businessman and borrow money off a whole bunch of investors, you don't need to do anything. And most businesses fail. When you look at why 90% of businesses fail, it's because their product might be good, but it's all the other aspects of running a business that they have no experience in that brings them down. Now, when you're running a business, it's easy to get sidetracked, to spend your life working and getting, not getting anywhere, to get bogged down, spending years trying to find that path to success. Now, my guest today... Gordon Treadgold, has worked in transformational leadership roles for over 20 years. He's run many $100 million programs, leading $200 million global operations departments and implementing large, complex organisational change programs for Fortune 500 companies. Now, what Gordon does is he inspires leaders to develop engaged teams that have clear plans so that they can revolutionise their results. He inspires leaders to develop these teams and he is really passionate about identifying simple methodologies that are able to be quickly implemented and that generate immediate benefits for people and companies. He's the authority on getting fast, F-A-S-T, and we'll go into that in a minute, results. Gordon's new book is called, guess what, FAST, F-A-S-T, which discusses his revolutionary approach to leadership that simplifies exactly what you need to be successful. Now, I received a copy of this book, and uh, I haven't had a chance to read it from cover to cover, but I have had a good flick through it, and it makes a hell of a lot of sense, and it boils everything down. You know, one of the most important things um, that I found in the book, and we all know this, But focus on the 20% that's going to bring you in 80% of the business. It's so easy to get sidetracked with so much stuff. I mean, I I was talking to somebody, uh, another business guy the other day, and we are comparing the number of emails we get. And I get about 400. Um, And they're all to do with business. And, you know, there's about 20 of those that are really important that I should focus on. The others just eat up my time. Now, Gordon's fast principles are focus, accountability, simplicity, and transparency. And I found it to be straightforward, pragmatic, it's easy to read, and uh, you should get yourself a copy and we'll talk about how in a minute. Gordon, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, how are you? I'm, I'm feeling great, Bob, how are you? I am terrific, as usual. Good. You might as well be. There's not much alternative, is there? You can be miserable and depressed or whatever. Doesn't seem like much future in that. Or you can be enthusiastic and excited and everything seems to work better. Well, as leaders, if we can't get excited, we'll never get our teams excited. That's true. Uh, Can you share with us your background? Just give us a bit of your background and how you came up with FAST. 
So, yeah, I, I came up with fast. Well, I actually came up with fast by looking back over my career when I was, I was when I started uh, writing on leadership. And throughout my career, I'd always looked to try to get ahead quicker. I didn't like the, because I started working in IT back in the 80s and you had to be in one, one role for three years and then when you'd done that you'd get promoted into the next role. So there was a pretty standard career path laid out for you and I didn't want to follow that. I wanted to try and accelerate my progress. So what I did was I, I volunteered for all of the difficult projects, the things that other people didn't want to get involved in, became successful at that and then got a reputation where I was actually given the difficult projects or asked to come in and turn things around. And having done that for 20 years, once I started writing on leadership and wanting to share my experiences, looking backwards, what I found was that things failed for, for four reasons. Uh, a lack of focus, people didn't know what success looked like. A lack of accountability, we didn't know who was supposed to be doing the work or it hadn't been communicated to them clearly and given them the tools. A lack of simplicity, we have a natural tendency to overcomplicate things. And then lastly, uh, a lack of transparency. People didn't know where they were in the process. And if you don't know where the finishing line is, then how are you going to get over it? So that's how I, that's pretty much how I came up with Fast, and, and it was those four things that I improved on every single project to to turn it around or to deliver it successfully. Yeah, very simple. And you need to do that these days because you know you really don't have it. it world's complicated and it's expensive these days, so you really don't have that much time to experiment and fiddle around for years before you go broke, do you? So you've really and. It's pointless working in a business if you're not achieving and solving problems quickly. Yeah, I was. I've done some coaching with entrepreneurs, and they, you know, I sit down with them and say, "Okay, tell me where we are in your business." And they say, oh, I'm, "I'm looking at the products, and I've created product A, product B, product C. I've got. I'm in the middle of D, and I'm going to work on product A." And I said, "Have you sold any products yet?" Well, I'm going to wait until I've built them all. <laughs> but where does your revenue come from? Why not start, if product, if product A is ready to go, why not start selling that now? And then once you're making a profit with product A, then take some time to do product B and then product C. And a lot of people spend, especially experts, they spend too much time working in the business and not on business development. Absolutely, I agree. So many people that come to me, um, you know, I'm a consultant to businesses and people come to me and... Uh, you know, they're, they're just going to get this right before they actually get it out into the marketplace. And I can just see a couple of things that are off on a tangent that I'm going to perfect before I get it out into the market. And they they just find any excuse not to get it out of the market. Um, and I think part of it's because they, you know, want to have the best product they can have when they get to the market, which is pretty stupid, really. But, and the other thing, I think they're afraid of getting it out in the market and afraid of, you know, what could happen if they're not successful. Or oh, they're afraid of being successful and how they're going to cope with it. So I'll put off being successful and put it out. And it's interesting what you talk about there. People want things that are perfect. I mean, I can't remember years ago. It was now probably about five, six years ago. Microsoft was probably the richest company in the world. And how many products did they put out where they were putting out patch fixes and upgrades within weeks of go live because the products weren't perfect. Yeah. They were good enough, 
but they would also always release um, updates. And if they'd have waited until their products were perfect, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't be the company they are today. <laughs> well, they'd still be trying to get their first product on the market. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. This book um, entitled Fast, Four Principles Every Business Needs to Know to Achieve Success and Drive Results. Um, yeah. I'm sitting, I've actually got it sitting here right in front of me on my desk because it came a day or so ago and uh, I have been going through it before I spoke to you. But I'm sitting in my office and I'm totally surrounded by books. I've got bloody business books coming out my ass. I have thousands of them. Um, I've written five of my own. And uh, why the hell should I read yours apart from the fact that I've got one. I mean, why, should, why, should I buy, why is your book different? What does it say that's so profound that is different than all of this other stuff that I've got, all these other books? So I, I wouldn't say that I say anything different. I think you're, you're absolutely right on your introduction when you said that businesses, um, large, small, corporate entrepreneur, whether you're doing a mobile app or you're running a dry cleaners, they fail for the same reasons. And, and those have been the same reasons for the past 2,000 years that things have failed. But what I've done is I've, it's how I combine the four things of focus, accountability, simplicity, and transparency. And I do it in such a way that I think it's an easy book to read. I mean, it's called fast because it will help you get results fast. Because a lot of people, if you focus on the wrong thing, everything you do is waste effort. So we want to get you focused on the right thing so you can start making uh, progress quickly. But it's also a quick book to read. I think it's easy to understand. And when people go through it, they'll, you know, the penny will drop and they'll think, okay, I've got this now. Because that's what happens when I coach my coaching clients. And you know, I've, I've worked with people, we, we wrote a book in six weeks and got it to a publisher because we got the person focused on the right things figured out the accountability, came up with a simple plan and then just tracked it and within six weeks she had a book with the publisher. And I've done the same with large corporations. So I think when people read it, it will resonate with them because I like to keep things simple. If I keep it simple, you can understand it and if you can understand it, you can use it. And there's too many books that, you know, what I found with some of the books that I read is that, you know, I have a degree in mathematics, but I have to read chapters two and three times before I understand what is going on. And, if I, and, and you end up thinking, wow, the guy that wrote this is a genius. And the way I write is I try and make the reader feel like the genius, and then they can go and implement. I must admit, it is easy to read. Um I've read a few chapters and uh, I have actually flicked through the whole book in sort of a speed reading, um, catch one-tenth of it kind of way. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, it's simple to read, therefore it's simple to follow. You know, my last book's about 400 pages of complicated um, detail that could be taught at a university level and... Uh, and that's exactly what happens. People get the book and go, shit, this guy's smart, but I'm not going to read it because it's too bloody hard to read. Um, I think you're right. Um, well, you well, are right, obviously. It, was, it comes back to what you were saying before, the old Pareto, 80% of the results can be delivered with 20% of the effort. And I've tried to write the 20% book that will allow people to get to 80% yeah. and, and get there quickly. And once you've got to 80%, I would tell people, don't bother going for the last 20, move on to another task and do another 80% and then move on to another task 
and do another 80%. Making sure the 80% you've done is enough to get you to uh, a finished product or, or to a good place. And, and when you do that, it just multiplies your productivity. Yes. It's when people get stuck in that last 20% that requires the 80% of the effort that we get analysis paralysis and a lack of uh, progress. It's so easy to get bogged down and waylaid, isn't it? It's just so easy. Um, Absolutely. It's okay. So why don't you talk us through the four fast principles? Just just walk us through each of the four of them. Okay, so, so focus is about what is it we're trying to do. And if we're doing, we need to be sure that we're doing the, the, the right thing. So for entrepreneurs, what we need to know is who's our target market? Who's our customer? If you don't know who your customers are, then your customers don't know who you are. So you need to know things like who your target customers are. You need to know what the goal is that you're looking at. You know, for example, I, I did a, a workshop with some entrepreneurs, and you know, I asked them, you know, what does it mean that I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 55? And I got three different answers. Somebody said, oh, you want a million in property. Somebody else said, you want a million in cash in the bank. Another said, you want a million in revenue. If the four of us don't have the same understanding of what the target is, we're never going to come up with the right plan to deliver the right result. So that's what focus is about. It's about making sure everybody understands what the target is so we can communicate and share it. Accountability is about who, making sure we've got clear roles and responsibilities so that everybody knows what they are supposed to be doing you know, in American football, how often do you see a touchdown score because of the blonde coverage? And either the person didn't know what they were doing or it hadn't been communicated to them. So we need to make sure people know what they're doing and that they have the right tools and authority to do the job. And when we do that, they become empowered. And when you get the right focus and accountability, that means we've got the right person doing the right job, which increases our effectiveness. And then you come on to simplicity, which is about... It's about the how. How are we going to get the work done? And I think what we need to do is we really need to review it. And one of my top tips for simplicity is imagine you only had a quarter of the time available. What would you do and what would you not do? And if you take that approach, you actually find things that you actually decide, actually, I don't need to do this. And if you wouldn't need to do it to be successful in a quarter amount of time, you don't need to do it at all. So pull those things out. The less we do, the, the more effective and efficient we can be. And then transparency is about coming up with a plan of progress. So if I want to lose 10 pounds in 10 weeks or 10 months, I'd put a chart where I'd, I'd plan to lose a pound a week. And then I would track my progress against that so I can see whether or not I'm being effective. And if I'm not being effective, then I need to go back and change my approach because I'm doing the wrong things and I'm not going to be successful. And transparency is also about getting the right understanding so that you know what's involved. And, and for entrepreneurs, that's also about making sure you've got the right pricing structure and you've got visibility into the amount of money you're going to need in order to keep going until revenues come in because as you know a lot of businesses go bust before yep. the money actually comes in even though it's a great idea yeah um actually the, the um pricing structure is something that um a lot of entrepreneurs don't give too much thought about and uh, i interviewed i interviewed a guy a couple of months ago um who uh, is an expert in pricing and uh 
it is an incredibly complicated and interesting area of business that um, by tweaking a little bit, you can absolutely change the fortunes of, of your business. I, I, I didn't realize there was so much um, involved in, in creating the right pricing structure, but whew, I certainly learned very quickly. Well, you have to make it attractive to your customers, but it's got to cover your costs. I worked for a Fortune 100 company where we got that wrong, and we got it wrong because it was incredibly complicated. We had so many people involved in the supply chain, and we were getting information about billing of the costs three months in arrears, and we incentivized salespeople on um, revenue, not profit. And what happened was we had products that were making a loss that we were promising people to sell like crazy. And I tell you, we, we ended up in a situation where a billion-dollar loss was looking us in the face. Right. Just, it, just because we didn't have the right pricing structure. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I learned, I spent a lot of time dealing with um, um, supermarkets and things years and years ago, and when I first went into the supermarkets, I was surprised that, you know, they were buying a can of soup for, say, a dollar, and they'd work out that their costs were actually a dollar twenty-seven. And I used to say, how the hell could they run up another 27 cents worth of costs on an individual product in a supermarket that's got 100,000 products? And then when you look at the way they cost, I mean, they, they bill for the amount of electricity that can keeps to... Yeah. is going to keep to keep on the on the um, on the shelves. How much the shelf space is costing them? How much it's costing to pay the the um, shelf stocker at three o'clock in the morning to restock the shelves? And and they go through all of these costs. It is unbelievable what hidden costs there are that are just lurking around, waiting to bite you in the ass. Yeah, and if you don't get them right. You, again, you, you can end up selling products at a loss, and you think you're doing great. Yeah. I worked with one. I worked with a, an entrepreneur a few months back, and she was generating twenty thousand in revenue three months into her business, and she wanted to help me. Wanted me to help her try and scale up from twenty to thirty thousand. And I said to her, "That's great, but how much profit are you making?" She said, "Oh, I don't know really." Yeah. I was like, whoa, for me, that's a, a, a red flag right there. And we looked into her product mix, and depending on who her suppliers were, she was either making 50% profit or she was making 5% profit. Yep. And if you're generating 20000 in revenue and you're making 5% profit, you might as well work at Starbucks yeah. because you're going to get 1000 a month, but at least at Starbucks you'd get probably, you'd probably get health care. <laughs> so we went through that pulled out all the suppliers that were delivering, helping her deliver a 5% profit, got her closer to 50%. Her um, gross revenue dropped to 5000 but her profit was 7500 Now she's got a base at which she can grow. She's got that transparency into her business to see that it's a good business model. And yeah. worth going. But before that, she had, no, she had no clue she was running blind. Yeah, people tend to say, well, I paid a dollar for it and I sold it for a dollar twenty. therefore I've made 20 cents profit. And <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way, but it's amazing how many people do it, look at it that way. The other issue is communication. You know, one of the things that most humans are extremely bad at is communicating. And uh, it, it, particularly in a business situation, it's really easy to miscommunicate um, something that should be relatively simple how do you 
how do you um, make sure that communication lines are clear um, and that people are all on the same page? I think you, I think you have to do that by communicating regularly and soliciting feedback and, and being consistent with your messages. You know, you can't say our goals to be you know fourteen percent profit or it's fifteen percent profit or sixteen. Your messages have got to be absolutely consistent, and you need to make sure that at every level down in the company they're consistent. But the number one way to make sure they're understood is to keep it simple. You know, if a if an eight year old can understand it then, you know, your messages are going to be understood. I did some work with one company, and they said to me, oh, we'd like you to look at our goals and strategies. And I said, okay. And they said, we've got 13 strategies, and each of those has got an introductory document of 100 pages, which we'd like you to read first, and then you can read the strategies. I said, how long is this for? And they said, 12 months. I said, well, I'm a slow reader. I'm not going to get read through all these until June, at which point it's too late. Yeah, Why do you make people read 13 strategy documents? What are your goals? And they said, well, we've got 13, but they're quite complicated. I said, if they're complicated, how are people going to understand them? And I said to them, you know, this was a, an education facility, I said, if you had one goal, what would it be? And they said, to be in the top 50 education institutes in the country. I said, so why don't you make that the goal? Yeah. And I went around the room and I asked people, if that was the goal, do you know what you'd need to do? And every single one of the senior managers said, I wouldn't need a strategy document because I know exactly what I'd have to do to deliver that. We went to the, we went to the chief exec and he said, thank you very much, but we've paid $200,000 yeah. for these things strategies were going to continue as they were. But, you know, his team were looking at these and didn't know what to do. With one goal of we're being the top 50 institutes, they were ready to uh, dive in and, and get the work done. They were motivated. They were excited. They were engaged. Nobody gets engaged and excited about 13 strategy documents. That's true. I mean, I'm, I'm falling asleep just saying it. I'm not even reading them. So keep, keep your messages clear and simple. The last company I worked for in corporate, a company called Henkel, our global CEO set for a three-year strategy, and we had three targets, 14% profit, 3% uh, to 6% uh, growth, organic sales growth, and 50% of our revenues would come from Asia. Right. And those were the three goals to run a uh, $20 billion company with 50,000 staff. And every single member of staff, you could have asked them, and every single member knew those goals because we kept it simple. And that's what people need to do. Don't overburden people with masses of detail and data because they'll forget. Should all goals be financially oriented? I think, for, I think if you're an entrepreneur, absolutely. Um, Unless you're going to be, unless you're going to be first to market, you know, if you're somebody like Uber, you know, you might want to be the first people or Airbnb, those companies. It was probably more important to be get that product to market, and then because it's going to be something so new, you'll be able to dominate the market. But if you're coming into an established marketplace, I think you you absolutely need to know what your financial goals are because then that tells you how you know you need to know what's your revenue and what's your profit uh, target. And then you need to know the cost of your items and how many you need to sell to, each, to hit those two goals. And if you don't know how much you need to sell to hit your target, then I've no clue what your business is doing. And I don't know how you can communicate that down to, uh, to your staff. The more I read and the more um, 
success stories I see amongst both early stage companies and also, you know, very mature older companies is that um, uh, the issue of being a good corporate citizen, a community citizen, uh, both. And, um, you know, it seems to me that the companies that are really putting back into the community today are the ones that are really starting to get traction and getting loyalty and and are really driving. So what um, what role do you think being a good corporate citizen plays today um, in being successful, particularly with millennials who seem to be much more um, interested in having the globe yeah, last think, more than a few years? Yeah, I think with a lot of the economic crises we've seen that were through uh, potentially non-ethical behaviours and, and then a lot of the pollution and things that we've seen, a lot of the millennials are very keen on, on companies being, as you say, environmentally friendly and putting stuff back in. And I do think that it is, it's going to be a huge differentiator for companies. And I think this comes back to, again, with FASA, it's about being accountable. You know, we need to be accountable for the mess we leave behind. And I, and I don't think the, uh, definitely the millennials want to see companies, you know, leaving a mess behind, pollution, whatever it will be. They want to see them giving back to the community. So I do think that's uh, important. But when we do these things, you know, the, we're looking to try and create a culture where people believe in us. And we have to, we have to live that culture and it can't just be lip service and an afterthought, because if it is, people will see through that and, and the companies will become despised even more than uh, companies that are, at least are being honest and not doing anything about it. So is there a difference between um, being accountable and being responsible? Yeah, well, yeah, there is. I, and I always, exp well, I believe there is. And, and the way I always give the definition is this, that if you take something like American football, I know we were probably brought up on rugby league or, and cricket, but, you know, for your audience, let's talk American football. I love Every American football. <laughs> I, I do too. I like the Green Bay Packers. Okay. The, um, the, um, the players on the pitch are responsible for playing the game. The, the coach... The head coach, he doesn't play on the game. He doesn't, he doesn't run the ball. He doesn't pass the ball. He doesn't tackle. If that team loses, he's the one that's accountable. So the players are responsible for carrying out the actions, but it's the head coach who is accountable. And even though you, you could argue, but he hasn't, he hasn't taken a single play. Well, he selected the team. He selected the tactics. He prepared the team. And he was able to make changes throughout a game. So... It, for me, that's what accountability is. It's about the person at the top who is ultimately going to take the fall if things don't go right. Whereas the people involved uh, are responsible. I guess there's a similar comparison that, that can be made between effectiveness and efficiency, isn't there? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I was, somebody was asking me about uh, could I give a difference between effectiveness and efficiency. And, and one of the things I said was that if your car's stuck in the mud and the, you press the accelerator and the tires spin really, really quickly, then your engine's being really effect, uh, efficient because it's getting the power to the wheels and they're spinning really, really quickly. But they're not being effective because it's not pulling the car forward. 
Yeah. So you, you need that efficiency for the wheels to spin quickly, but you also need that traction, which is the effectiveness, which pushes it forward. And focus and accountability allow us to be effective, and simplicity and transparency allow us to be efficient. And when we can be both effective and efficient, that's when the, uh, the magic really happens. That is a great example. Now, um, what's your favorite um, example of failure? There's a couple in the book, but... <laughs> yeah, it, it's, um, it's the one in the book, and uh, it's with the French trains, where they had a, a project for $15 billion, uh, 15 billion euros, so about $20 billion, to um, upgrade the French train system. And they, they built the first 300 or so trains ahead of schedule. Trains were absolutely fantastic. They were beautiful, but they're too big and there's 800 rural stations that they won't fit through. So the trains, fantastically built, but not fit for purpose because they had the wrong focus. And what's even worse, they made the objective of that project was to make the trains bigger. They just didn't know how big, too big, was going to be. And, and the consequence of this is, I think it's about $150 million, um, in additional cost, which... For a, a budget budget of 15 to 20 billion, they've probably got that covered in contingency, but it's the embarrassment. I mean, I wouldn't want to have to go to the French prime minister or president and tell him, you know, sit down. This is yes, going to yeah, make I got you something laugh. to tell you. <laughs> We've made <laughs> the trains too big. And then the disruption, 800 stations. But not only will the trains not pass each other, they won't even go through the station on its own. So you've got to widen 800 stations. I mean, that's... That's That's significant disruption to the end user. That's a big job. Okay, where can people buy fast your new book? They can they can buy it on Amazon. Um, just okay. Google Gordon Treadgold fast, and they'll find the book. And I will be selling signed copies off of my website, but we won't be doing that until October twentieth, which is the launch date of the book. They can go in now and pre-order on Amazon if you'd like to do that. Okay. Gordon, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Gordon and FAST by going to Gordon Treadgold, that's G-O-R-D-O-N-T-R-E-D, gold, G-O-L-D, dot com. I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short message. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. Um, marketing your business is a major issue. You know, one of the uh, major reasons that companies fail is because of lack of effective marketing. And it's, you know, it's hard to market without spending a lot of money. And particularly, you know, people think that um, the social media is inexpensive. Well, if you do it right, it's not. 
But um, thinking about how you market your business if you've got no money is uh, kind of overwhelming. So there's so many different advertising and promotional vehicles available today. And uh, how do you make your tiny budget stretch? Well, get yourself a pen and pad. So if you do that quickly, I want to run through just a few ways that you can get reasonable results without spending very much money. The first way, post fantastic content to your blog. You know, just um, your blog will be the foundation of a lot of your other marketing efforts. So it's where you direct visitors and capture leads, etc. So be sure to regularly post content that meets the needs and interests of your audience. The second way is to create a Google My Business account. If you want your business to show up in local search, a Google My Business account's a necessity. So make sure your business is not only visible on search, but on Google Maps and Google Plus, etc. as well. Public relations is really important, of course, when you're promoting your business. So you must get free PR with Help a Reporter Out. That's the name of it, Help a Reporter Out or HARO for short, H-A-R-O. And if you make your story interesting, you can get free PR in national magazine and websites, create your account, and just answer the media inquiries. Another way to get free or nearly free exposure for your business is to build a free or a cheap email list. You've got to have an email list, but when you're just starting out, don't commit to the monthly fees that uh, many of the email management services charge. I use MailChimp, which offers its uh, services for free for businesses with fewer than 2,000 members, uh, subscribers. That's what I used to use. I don't use it anymore, of course. Um, but when you are ready to take it to the next level, AWeber, A-W-E-B-E-R, starts at just $19 a month. The fifth way to contribute is to contribute an article to an industry magazine. If you can, um, <coughs> oh, excuse me. If you can um, get you get yourself articles in industry magazines, it's absolutely free, and it builds you as a bit of an expert. So um, promote your business and promote yourself at the same time. Another way to get uh, free exposure for your business is, is to attend every local networking event you can get to. Get up, say a few words if you can. Um, if you go to meetup.com, um, you will find a whole truckload of events, local business events. The seventh way you can get free exposure is to create an affiliate program. Um, if you offer a digital product like an ebook or set up an affiliate program with a service like eJunkie at about five bucks a month, you can't go you can't go wrong. An eighth way to get free exposure for your business is to um, guest post on popular niche sites. So go and find out who is popular and uh, guest post on their site. You reach a whole new audience of people that are dedicated. And uh, don't forget to link back to your site so that um, people can find you. A tenth way to get a lot of exposure for business is to host webinars on your site. Um, hosting webinars can be expensive, but there are some companies that offer free or low-cost options. Some cheap options are webinars on air, start at about 20 bucks a month. 
meat cheap, that's about 10 bucks a month. And if you're looking for an even cheaper option, Google Hangouts On Air, that's Google Hangouts On Air, that's absolutely free, gratis, nada. Um, another way to promote your business is to add your business to Yelp. It's also free and a great way to increase your visibility in the search engines. Another way is to promote your business for very little cost is to offer a free on-site class and bring locals into your place of business. And uh, the final way to promote your business for free is to offer amazing free info on social media, sharing valuable information with your social media fans and followers. You become a trusted expert and it works well. So I hope you find that these few um, ways to market your small business on a shoestring budget helpful. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter and the radio show summary. It's sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries every month. Subscribe to my, to my newsletter simply by going on to bobpritchard.com. Now, I've just been appointed the Honorary President of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. It is a fantastic thing to belong to. Everybody that's in sales or marketing or management should belong. So go on to AISMM.us and join today. So thanks for joining us on today's show. We look forward to having your company again next week. In the meanwhile, if you're not really pushing the envelope and if you're not right on the edge, then you're taking up far too much space. And it's easier and much, much, much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. 